Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. I am Scott Challoner, and you join us on another sunny day here in the capital as once again we bring together a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. Joining me first and foremost on today's programme is Matthew Sankey, the Managing Director of Sankey's, a Tunbridge Wells-based pub and seafood brasserie with retail and wholesale fishmongers as well. Matthew, very warm welcome to you and thank you ever so much for taking the time to join us on the programme today. That's an absolute pleasure. It's uh, nice to be doing something a little bit different for once. It's a real pleasure having you with us as well. Real pleasure, Matthew. And the reason we're here, of course, is to establish your take on leadership. But before we sort of dive into that side of things, considering that this generation of business leaders is sort of going through one of the greatest challenges of our time, I think it's fair to say. I think it would be remiss of me not to ask you just how it's been for you navigating the COVID-19 pandemic over the last few months. Well, it's certainly been the biggest challenge of my lifetime. Um, I'm going to sound rather strange, but I'm kind of looking back and I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, I think that's partly down to the success we've made of it. Um, whatever you want to kind of term a success, I, I, that's what I'm kind of the spin I'm putting on it. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it, it's bizarre because for the first time in a long time, everyone's in the same boat um, in our industry. As you know, there are so many different variables and uh, and problems that occur, and some are legislation led, and some are kind of environmentally led. Um, and uh, on this occasion, obviously, it's, it's all been out of our hands, and we've all been dealt the same cards. Um, so, yeah, it's been a, it's been a really fascinating challenge, and um, one we've thrived on. And would you say that there's anything from this period that you've learned from a business leader perspective, either about yourself, the business, or those around you, and how they've applied themselves to respond? Yeah, I mean, certainly with our teams, um, I've learned that it's you know you've got to lead from the front yourself. Um, you can't just delegate anymore. Uh, people are worried. They don't really know what to expect around the corner. And if you're leading from the front, um, instead of just telling people what to do, uh, we found that is a, you know, is far more fulfilling personally, but also um, extracts a much better result. Um, and that's certainly how we've, we've, we've dealt with it. I mean, we kind of transformed our wholesale business, like a lot of others, in the country into a kind of an online um, enterprise. We almost kind of became a, a localized Ocado, for want of a better expression. Um, we kind of retrained with all of our chefs. But at the same time, you know, I was in there at 2 a.m. in the morning, going to market, uh, answering all the phone calls, dealing with the website, uh, picking and prepping the fish alongside everyone. Um, it was kind of all hands on deck instead of my normal role, which is, primarily office-based these days. As much as I hate that, I much prefer to be on the floor. That's where I started. But, uh, yeah, needs must. And it's, it's been almost kind of like a grounding, you know, starting again from scratch and uh, building up these new processes and new systems with the teams has been thoroughly enjoyable, I've got to say. And just how has it been sort of managing things from a mental health point of view, um, not just with yourself, but also those around you? Because when you sort of have to provide that little bit of reassurance that there's a plan in place, everything's hopefully going to be ticking over and going all right. It can be difficult when sort of there's not always that much information widely available. No, so, you know, I'm glad you brought up mental health because it's something I'm, um, I, I don't shout 
you know, off the top of the trees about it. But, you know, we have a policy at the uh, in our business where, you know, started with myself. I started seeing a counsellor. I had a bit of a, an interesting upbringing. And um, I decided that it, that was working so well for me that we would start funding that for our staff. Um, and we expanded that uh, throughout the, um, the crisis, still going on, obviously, um, to uh, all members of our staff, including the part-time ones, which we hadn't done previously. Um, but, yeah, talking about the, you know, no one knows what's going on. You know, we were getting the daily briefings from Downing Street, um, and obviously the, then you're getting the conflicting reports in the newspapers. And it was really tough. Looking back at it, there were some days where it was incredibly stressful. You know, the, the first week when Boris told everyone not to come to the pub, everyone was in a proper panic, self-included. And it was, you know, information is power. Um, and we decided to kind of create a WhatsApp group. Why we didn't have one before, I don't know. But um, we were just kind of channeling all of the various media reports, the information from Downing Street, um, and then we were kind of picking the bits out of that that we thought were relevant and were factually correct as possible and kind of going, oh, guys, look, please, feel free to read as much Daily Mail and The Sun as you want, but this is what I know. I'm willing to put my – this is I'm willing to bet on this bit of information being correct, and, and that kind of worked, and, and nine times out of ten we were, kind of, we were kind of correct. And that kind of gave all of our members of staff um, – you know, a, a central bit of knowledge point that they could rely on. So that kind of settled them, uh, eased them, eased their, uh, their concerns a little bit, you know, that as bosses or as a boss, you know, they could rely on me for, for that kind of information, which um, which was, yeah, I think went down pretty well. Um, getting a lot of feedback from other uh, of our competitors in the area, members of staff that, you know, other companies you know, didn't quite do that or didn't do it correctly um, and have, uh, are paying the cost of that. So it's, it's certainly, it's, it's, I think it's important just to be as clear and as honest as possible with that as well. And that's what we were doing. We didn't, we didn't hold anything back. Mm-hmm. And we just kind of just kept telling the truth or as, as, as much of the truth as we really knew. You know, I was even telling our members of, of the teams, you know, this is our current financial situation and this is where we're going and this is what we can do, this is what we can't do. Just giving them all the information so they were they were not kept in the dark at all. Mm. Clarity, honesty, transparency, of course, all incredibly important 100%. elements of leadership, not just in crisis, but also in the everyday environment. And another yeah. interesting point that we raised there is that people often looked to you as sort of the business leader, if you will, uh, Matthew, for information and direction when they needed it. But when you are sort of that person at the uh, the top of the tree who everybody is looking to for inspiration, when you need a little bit of it for yourself, where do you tend to look to for that when there isn't really anybody above you as such? So I've, uh, I'm in a unique position at the moment where I've got a, a, a pretty new baby. I'm not sure that's the right expression, but I've got a 16-month-year-old daughter. And um, it's grounded me a lot. I've also got an 11-year-old son. You know, that's a long time ago. So it, having a new child really grounds you. Um, and I kind of leaned on that a lot. Like, you know, what, what you know, if, if, if Margot was one of my employees, what would I be telling her? And it's almost... I became almost like a parental figure to a lot of my staff. Um, they're also obviously a lot younger than I am. Um, so that that is kind of where I went mentally. Um, 
and uh, yeah, it served it served itself very well. And when sort of it can get a little bit much sort of in the um, everyday world of running a business um, and you're having to also face a crisis um, as well, you know that something big is on the horizon. How do you sort of mentally steel yourself to sort of deal with the challenges ahead? So I think what's important there is when you are getting really stressed and flustered and um, a decision isn't isn't that easy to come by, I Mm. think it's very important to kind of protect the team around you and you know we were saying earlier about clarity and, and honesty and, and, and you know sharing everything I think there are certain things that I find are quite important not to share you know instead not just kind of you know uh, you know kind of jumping the gun and uh, going oh my god this is all crazy and it's, it's a nightmare and we're all going to die it's going to be horrific you know that I can kind of keep to myself and, and I've become quite good at you know, through my own counseling kind of going right laying it all out and looking at it piece by piece, and working through it methodically and logically. Whereas, you know, when you're on the on the fly, you tend not to do that. So that's something I've learned over the over the last three months. Yeah, you know, let's just everyone take a breath. Let's look at all this new information we've got. Let's look at what's coming out. And it's, we don't need to knee jerk instantly. We can we can work through these these things that are coming up, and and a plan accordingly, and then deliver that that kind of plan to the, to the team. There's no point, you know, giving them all the craziness and then going, oh, don't worry, I've now, I've now figured it out. Sorry about the last hour where you were all fretting. Um, I don't think that's, that's the right thing to do. It's, you know, it was my, my, my choice to, to do what I do and run a business. And, and that, that is you know, my responsibility is to make sure that I do take some of that burden. And I quite enjoy it. Mm. I like thinking about things methodically. And you've been in that role running a business of your own for over 10 years now, uh, Matthew, of course. But what would you say was the uh, the moment that you knew that going into business for yourself was the route forward, as it were? Uh, that's a very long story, um, but I'll abbreviate it. I, I Before I worked um, for my father, whose business I bought, which is where we are now, over mm. 10 years ago, I used to work for a motor racing company as a uh, kind of a mechanic. Um, and I made a decision uh, during one race, which saved someone from an injury, but gathered, uh, kind of got us some, some uh, penalty points, if you like. So I, I kind of broke the rules, but made the right decision for someone's uh, health. Um, I got told off pretty severely. And I decided then that actually, do you know what? I think my decision-making ability is is uh, probably stronger than than others around me think, and I need to go out on my own. Um, in a nutshell, very very interesting. And obviously, coming away from that, um, if you were now to give some advice, having gone out and made it in um, on your own running a business, if you were to give some advice to somebody who was maybe about to start their first day in a leadership role, what sort of advice would you go about giving them? So everyone does things for a reason. Now, whether that's customers complaining about something, you know, something's made them do that. There's been a, a catalyst. You know, members of staff, waiters, kitchen staff, they make mistakes and there's a reason for that mistake. So instead of biting their heads off, uh, you know, you need to look back and go look through the process and identify what made 
that person make that decision to write that review about your business or to um, you know, uh, mess up that order? What, what was the catalyst? And then you can go through, and nine times out of ten, you can go through with them and what happened, how it happened, and how you can then uh, ensure that that doesn't happen again in the future, not just for that individual or that for that customer, for the entire process. It's, it's a constant, constantly looking at improving. But it does, that kind of stuff doesn't need to take or happen within the first five minutes of it happening. No one's going to die. We run a restaurant. You know, it's not, you know, we're not sending people to Mars. Um, so you can sit down, you have the time to breathe and just that, that we're all, people who run businesses and are leaders have that, that drive and that, that desire to get things done as rapidly and as efficiently as possible. But sometimes you can achieve a better result just by taking a step back, looking at everything methodically and clearly and trying to pinpoint that issue and then working with the people that were involved in that issue to resolve it and to ensure, as I said earlier, that it doesn't repeat itself. And having reflected on the uh, the past a little bit there, Matthew, it only serves as well that we talk about the future just before we do wrap things up on the, uh, the programme today, of course. Um, we know that over the next 12 to 18 months until we do emerge from this COVID-19 pandemic fully, that we're going to have to adjust to a new way of living and working. So during that period, what is next on the horizon for you and for Sankeys and what do you hope to really achieve as a business? So we have... The whole COVID situation has, has uh, you know, we've come out of it smelling of roses a bit. You know, we, we've done very well with our online trade, supporting the local community. Likewise, the, excuse me, that was Siri. Likewise, the um, community has supported us. People are now fully aware that they should support more localized businesses rather than the big national chains. So everyone has their place, but that's what we've recognized and what we've noticed. Um, it's been an incredible reset for our industry. And moving forward, I think our industry will will no longer be living on the never-never and the big borrowed money. Um, and I think we're all starting to uh, respect and appreciate uh, what everyone offers. And that, that's including, you know, my suppliers. I, I'm appreciating them more. My customers are appreciating me more. I'm appreciating the staff and the customers more. I think it's a, it's a you know I think we were getting a bit complacent uh, previously and this is a big reset for everyone mentally and and I think in a few years time we'll probably look back at this and, and obviously the loss of life is horrific and and the stress it's caused is, is you know is, is bad but I think we'll look back and go actually this is this has been a uh, this occasion this event um, actually created more good than it did. Uh, bad, you know. I think we'll come out, all come out of this stronger, slightly fitter, with a better um, mental you know, thought process. I think that's, I think that's quite important. That's my take on it. It has certainly been a very difficult and a very sensitive time, but let us hope that we can really harness the positive elements that have come out of this and really carry those forward. Mm, absolutely. Um, I have to say, Matthew, it's been a real pleasure having you join us to share not just your views on leadership, but also your opinions of um, your COVID-19 experience and how we can move forward following this situation. And just given how informative it has been, I think it would be wonderful to catch up in future and have you back on the programme in a few months just to see how things are getting on at that point in time and we can just reassess at that point exactly where we are 
absolutely. You can give me a call whenever you want. I think that would be wonderful. Phone's always on. Mm. I thought it would be one. I think it would be wonderful, Matthew, for sure, because it's been brilliant having you join us today. Uh, most importantly, however, until we do hopefully speak again, please do continue to take care and stay safe with all still going on, because there are still a great many variables in this. And let's just keep our fingers crossed that it's all positive trajectory from here on in. You're absolutely right. You know, it, it is still a, a ever-changing environment, and um, as long as we're all looking at the information and processing it properly. Um, and, you know, I, I hate to kind of repeat what the government say, but, you know, staying alert, which sounded really silly at first, actually is, a, is exactly the right message. You know, don't get complacent, stay alert. That's, a, you know, in business and as well as your own personal kind of being. If we follow those, those kind of guidelines, um, I think we'll all be totally fine and, and we'll get through this and, as I said, be stronger and fitter than we ever were before. I would reiterate that message to any tuning in and listening today. Do continue to be sensible with the lifting of lockdown restrictions. Do look after yourselves and others because it does make a real difference in saving lives. I was speaking on today's programme to Matthew Sankey, Managing Director of Sankey's in Tunbridge Wells. Coming up next on the programme today, I'll be handing over to Matthew O'Neill for his exclusive interview with England's FIFA World Cup hero of 1966, Sir Jeff Hurst. During his professional career, Sir Jeff's scored over 200 league goals for the likes of West Ham United and Stoke City. But most notably, he remains the only man to this day to have scored a hat-trick in the final of a World Cup competition after his treble in England's 4-2 victory over West Germany at the Old Wembley Stadium 54 long years ago now. I hope that you all enjoy listening just as much as my colleague enjoyed speaking with Sir Jeff and all of that is of course coming up next. Uh, we're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final, Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Oh, there, there are one or two people who are very familiar um, uh, who do Google me realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex, uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool, many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, and... um, yes, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be playing, I guess, with one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a, there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first-class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or, or football, obviously the importance of leadership it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at the football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. 
he um, he's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years. I guess he would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd worked with. So you're very fortunate. I think you you just think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood. And of course, a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that, that caliber can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's, that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with, with a manager like, like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players and of course they become your friends who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself was it more was it Peters I think probably well I was very fortunate to play with the caliber of the players I did again mm-hmm. again extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters who was a fantastic player and some, as far as Martin's concerned I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved and what a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Noor. Although he was only uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more looks upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy with the same age group as me. And I looked at how he how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly all walks of life, leadership is at the top, is absolutely vital for a, a, for a business football team in any walk of life to be successful and it's quite evident I was in the motor trade for a long time as well selling car warranties to car dealerships and you could almost tell when you walked into the business uh, in a, many of the car dealerships you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all and so I understand the, the, the value and quality of leadership. And that's why I'm very fortunate to, to be involved in my career in those early days with two, two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Alf Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that. But obviously, uh, after uh, oh, at West Ham, your uh, plan came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man I'm sure when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, the first thing I say about Alf Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, mm. Naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand, whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you. It can have a great impact on your, <laughs> your career and, of course, your life. But yep. in that era, I was involved for six or seven years. He, it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very, very strict. Probably at a time, maybe overly strict, but at a time you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now. 
but he was the most powerful man I came across and very few people and he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who he didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group part of a team it is important that if you've got a group of people and that's in any walk of life they're all singing off the same hymn for you and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organization, one thing I have learned and I've taken on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in the group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless with that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious ones I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think... Uh a, a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, Jeff, you could uh, perhaps pick right now that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team or certainly in the squad and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it. But looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that that's that for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it only a few games before. I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be playing in, in the team but uh, in a couple of friendly games more friendly games before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway I think in Denmark mm. I didn't I played two of the four games and I probably didn't quite replicate my my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England and he, he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay he started off with Jimmy Green and so I, I had an impact of thinking I at that stage I like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back into it because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Glee's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second, I think... Mm. I was just happy to be, you know, be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't. You're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really. Looking back, out, out. So I never really felt. People talk about pressure a lot, and it's there. And people, players talk about. People talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessary to feel any great pressure pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he'd moved one or two players out, the squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that Al showed. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, 
Uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very, I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Uh, we had some great players, but overall they were great hard-nosed professional players um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realised there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I, I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows, in fact, starting this week, over the next uh, two or three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about 20 minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And there's, I won't mention both. There's too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, The other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the, the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? And, of course, I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal. And I looked round, put my foot on the ball, and looked round for a little while, and said, "Oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch." So that—I've uh, had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke, make a joke about that, and saying, "Yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited, but just had a, look, had a glance round, you know." Maybe it does prove there are things that, such as stupid questions, really. Um... Oh yeah, there are. There certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you with. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three years ago, and most stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely, but I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then, but we. Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want, you want, you've got time, I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on, go on. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay, so I was uh, doing a. a at a dinner in the you know, Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honor. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about 20 minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening. And there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden, I heard a, somebody at the back who, who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give mm-hmm. this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what a question. What a question. Uh, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Is, uh, well, uh, and we, you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like I that. Just, but I, then again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did... Uh, um, but then again, if you, put, if you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. Um, <laughs> but th- there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff. I think um, you, you were a young man when see, this happened, when you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you, or did you just realise that by, by quick, one way or the other, people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps 
uh, there are there are people that pay you compliments of, of uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke, and of course in, uh, England fans who, um, I, I think probably yeah, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest that I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. Uh, well, um, it, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it, perhaps. Um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a uh, helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitch is people must realise that that's, that has an influence, how you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team latterly. Um, yeah. And and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with um, those qualities that you could identify in a, in a natural leader? Um. Well, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think some of the outstanding. I think the, the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to their attitude. is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but... There's more than just being good players in football. It's that a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that, that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck that's absolutely leadership he'd be the best example of course in in football terms today Uh, easily easily and of course but going back not that long ago Alex Ferguson is just absolutely Mm. you've got to take him as the first example because Klopp's only done this over a period of time a short period of time but if you look at the 25 26 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United and subsequently since he's gone how they've they are not doing so well. He's the best example of management I've seen. We've seen, we've probably ever seen, and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again. It's ast- absolutely astonishing, astonishing. And do you think? Could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they. Uh, Ron Green was yeah. The answer, straightforward answer, is yes. Um, they, answer. <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with um, and I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back. Uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England, who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of 
not just leadership, but uh, companionship and and level-headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were very fortunate and I wouldn't take any one player out. I think looking at so that, many. Yeah, so many, and that's why we were successful because we had so many um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team. I think that that was outstanding and, uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath and there was nobody, and I've been going back from an earlier earlier question for me, that um, all hard-nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days every year uh, up until about five years ago, of course, with, with the sadly dwindling yes. numbers. We, we still got on, our wives got on all together all those years later. It didn't just finish after 66. That reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. the, um, getting on with each other lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't I, when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those, I would pick every one of the eleven players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else; they were all outstanding. And I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big a part that was. And I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We have some great players. It, we have some great players, of course. But without the attitude uh, alongside that, going back to an earlier question, you, we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately, ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the, the the whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts. But with it, yes, the word, the word is team. the word is t- the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk. Sometimes you know, together, everyone achieves more. And that, that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, uh, Jeff, looking, if, if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life, what would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single mind and uh, dedication dedication to the job um, thinking about that 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 role that job in leadership all the time it's a huge part of your life but it, you, I don't think you can switch off when you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level you may you know have a, have a couple of weeks holiday but I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm I'm sure there's not uh, they will not switch off for, for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation. And I think that's, you're completely focused. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements. And it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to nice to have a talk about this and just go over the go over the past and just uh, refresh my mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I've been your host, Scott Challoner. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, 
its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, or other guests of any other person therein associated.